0: Ramona's trying to get over Gideon, while Scott is still recovering from a very bad breakup with Mm -hmm. Envy. And so they're both scarred, and they're both trying to heal from past breakups and relationships. Welcome to In Out Points, a film analysis podcast by a video producer and an amateur movie buff.
1: I'm Josh, the video producer.
0: And I'm Val, the amateur movie buff. Today, we're talking about Scott Pilgrim versus the world. <laughs>
1: so scott pilgrim versus the world what can we say about this one this is, besides the fact that it's our one of our favorite films of all time it's it's got to be it's definitely my top 10
2: I oh think. yeah
0: oh yeah it's first f- for one thing it is the most fun i've had doing research for an episode of mm-hmm. this podcast uh part of my research was actually reading the original story by brian lee o'malley um digging deeper into the marketing that was done for this movie uh, which we'll talk about more um, in a little bit but it is just from second one it starts off it just punches you in the face with hey this is going to be a fun comedy get ready for two hours of just musical fight scenes and comedy punching you left and right and it doesn't stop and never gets boring
1: no definitely not and uh let's just run down the quick uh facts here so this film came out in 2010 mm-hmm. directed by edgar wright uh who's known for uh, hot fuzz baby driver uh written by michael bacall edgar wright and based on the graphic novels by brian Lee O'Malley. it stars michael Sarah, kieran colgan anna kendrick allison pill aubrey plaza ellen wong Mark Weber and Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Ramona Flowers. Cinematography was by Bill Pope, who, if you don't know, he was known is known for the Matrix trilogy, Ooh. Spider-Man 2, the recent Jungle Book, Baby Driver, also directed by Edgar Wright, like I said. And I feel like he is definitely the right choice for this film with that type of track record, working on films with very elaborate special effects, mm-hmm. which is just made for this this type of film
0: yeah and from what i read about him he's very detail oriented and so you see in every minute of this film just how much he loves the source material and how much he really wants to pay tribute to it and also have fun with it Mm -hmm. at the same time
1: it was a critical success but a box office bomb it had a budget of 85 million dollars and only grossed 48.1 million dollars, which is obviously a huge loss.
0: But the audience have grown over time. They realize what it is, and there's more and more people being attracted to it. Like, I at first did not feel attracted to watch this film, and we'll Mm -hmm. talk about why, but uh, as you introduced me to it, i thought to myself wow why did i not watch this is that how sooner?
1: you first watch i i honestly can't remember when. yeah
0: yeah yeah yeah. you you were telling me like this is great this is great and i kept thinking to myself and i was telling you like the trailer was kind of oh, well less. we just
1: talked about that the trailer was yeah. awful we went back and watched it recently and maybe that's part of why this film didn't do very well that it, we we think the marketing was was pretty terrible
0: yeah and the it's this is this was my first impression of what I thought the film was going to be. You have video game references and kind of uh, video game style uh, fights, little bits and pieces in the trailer. And so my first thought was, okay, this is based off a video game or it's trying to mimic video games Mm -hmm. and it's trying to make some sort of silly teen comedy out of it and it's some sort of you know there's throwaway movie and that's what the trailer made me feel like and i'm wondering if that's what the you know what the potential audience for this could have been the the initial potential audience for this might have thought as well is that possibly eh. it
1: it came out in 2010 mm-hmm. when at that time there were, i think there were a handful of like coming of age teen comedies yeah. mm-hmm. at that time um so maybe they tried to market it in that specific realm um I just feel like the the trailer didn't have the energy that the film has,
0: yeah, there's more energy in the opening credits than in five seconds of the opening credits mm-hmm. than there are in the entire trailer and I haven't watched the trailer for a long time it wasn't after i re rewatched the movie recently, just to you know was just curious of what it looked like, and I was in shock of how it just was. Well, I, just I was
1: working yeah. you know in the other room mm-hmm. and i was listening to you watch the trailer i'm like wait why don't i like hear yeah. s- s- stuff that i would normally hear in the film yeah why well, was none of the music that was featured in the movie featured in the trailer yeah yeah so that was a complete missed opportunity
0: yeah and the thing is this is primarily a comedy and usually when you market a comedy you're going to put at least one of the really good jokes from mm-hmm. the film in the trailer to really get the audience to you know react to it and think okay there's more where that came from i'm gonna go watch it and there really isn't that in the trailer there's not like one good punchline that where you're like oh this is not just a comedy this is a clever comedy with some neat you know visual effects let me go look at it some more
1: it's like tailor-made for my yeah. sense of humor mm-hmm. honestly i think i've said that before <laughs> it's every single joke i it just just kills me. Uh um, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And they're so highly quotable. Mhm. Um and it's 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 really a shame that this didn't do well uh when it was in the theaters. Yeah. Um
0: And they did put effort into the marketing though in other ways. So there was Scott Pilgrim versus the Animation, which is an animated short that mm-hmm. was released in Adult Swim in the same month.
1: Well, that wouldn't be the first time uh an animated uh short or animated side uh marketing uh was released with a film and it didn't do well i mean blade runner 2049 was the same way it had mm. the three short films mm-hmm. or the well the one animated short film but three short films and that didn't quite do uh much for the the actual release
0: yeah yeah but the but they they also had a um comic-con uh panel so there was uh-huh. exposure uh before the film's release and what was
1: that comic so that was in july before and this came out in august august Mm -hmm. i mean that's right before it and it just didn't capitalize
0: yeah yeah and there was even a video game scott pilgrim versus the world yep so um they tried but i think that to get to the main audience there was a misfire there with with this trailer and we could only find one type of trailer like mm-hmm. the, the official one is the only one that we were able to find usually you would have a teaser and maybe like a half teaser half full trailer and then there's the full trailer that really gives you more of the meat of the story and with that one trailer that we saw it was like a half teaser half full one that didn't really get at what this movie was really about
1: so just to kind of round out some of the statistics some of the information um this film received zero Oscar nominations. It was on the short list for Best Visual Effects, but didn't quite make the cut. Um, I feel like that was that was pretty much a snub. Um, yeah. I feel like you could argue the film also for Best Cinematography and Best Editing, but didn't get any love either way. It's it's kind of its own thing, where it, this is not the type of film that typically gets Oscar love anyway. And then at this um, at the same time, it it didn't do well at the box office. It came out in August. So it's not really fresh in the uh in the minds of of vo- uh voters at that time. I honestly feel like if it was nominated in any of those categories, it probably would have lost to Inception. Inception mm-hmm. actually won for best visual effects, it won for best cinematography, uh did not win for best editing, which actually I don't even think it was nominated for best editing, which is another That's such a shame. No. <laughs> such a shame for inception the uh what won that year for best film editing was the social network which was actually very well uh edited i must say and was edited on final cut pro 7
0: you know what's funny what i usually hear is the best editing is one that you don't notice but in this particular case with scott pilgrim you notice the editing and it contributes to the comedy
1: Contributes to the comments. It contributes to the story, oh, so yeah. th- it's not just they're not just doing it for show. Right. I mean, there are examples of bad editing that's that's for show, mm-hmm. um, and there's there's bad editing that you that's not flashy, but you notice it. So yeah, you you are right about that. Um, just to not to go off on a tangent, but The Social Network is a an extremely well paced film. It's it's pretty long, but it's so well paced. Mm-hmm. I I I can't blame. You know the academy for voting for that but you know that's gonna that's another story for another day the first thing i want to mention about this film is immediately from the opening we know we're in for something special we've got this 16-bit universal logo mm-hmm. with the you know with the 16-bit sound immediately followed by the a, uh the opening theme of a link to the past which is my favorite video game of all time so this obviously the first time i saw this it blew my mind i'm like okay this is I'm already in love with it
0: and for someone like me who's not a gamer who does not have experience with Zelda and really most of the Nintendo games I still found this enjoyable you know even in the beginning uh with the universal logo because you think yourself okay so they're gonna have their own style of humor here
1: most definitely and this isn't this isn't like the first time we've seen uh the universal logo or the you know the opening logo mm-hmm. edited in a way i remember i think they did it on Waterworld, um and there's there's plenty of examples where
0: they did the, it for the mummy
1: for the mummy okay the
0: the, the brendan fraser uh, mummy where yep. it kind of corrodes into sand and that's great yeah. yeah
1: i mean i always love when i when i see it it's 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 always a nice surprise but this one was definitely pretty original
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i believe that for back to the future they had like previous versions of the universal logo kind of evolving into the current universal logo See, I don't so remember that, was, that. I might that have looked cool. that up. Mm-hmm. I think it might have been for Back to the Future Part Three, but yeah, definitely for one of them. So
1: let's jump into the story. Um, I will say that the story isn't anything that's you know groundbreaking. It's actually a pretty basic hero's journey, but they mm-hmm. they put such a unique spin on it, mirroring actual video game motifs, mm-hmm. that it makes it special. So why don't you tell us about Scott Pilgrim versus the world?
0: Well, focusing around Scott Pilgrim, a 22-year-old who doesn't seem to really have any kind of motivation to be anything except living in a one-bedroom apartment apartment. If you uh, call it that. If you can call it that. with A
1: hole in the wall.
0: Yeah, yeah. With with his uh, friend Wallace Wells. Um, and really, he's just kind of putzing along in his life, uh, not doing much of anything, until he becomes um, kind of obsessed with this new girl in town, Ramona Flowers. Mm-hmm. And things start spiraling outward from there.
1: Yep. So before we get into the Scott and Ramona aspect... Scott is seeing a seventeen-year-old high school girl named mm-hmm. Nines Chow. Yep, which and,
0: everybody, including myself, is uncomfortable watching this because, yes. like, oh, geez. And everybody
1: in the in the film too—they're all making fun of him for it. Mm-hmm. Um, he brings her to their band practice in the in one of the first scenes, mm-hmm. and she's immediately just enamored with with Sexbomb, which is the name of their band.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so Scott plays bass in his. Uh, it's not even his. It's his bandmates band steven stills mm-hmm. he he's the one that really cares the most about the band the other two uh, members seem to be tagging along uh, one of the members being michael sarah scott pilgrim playing the bass and the other one being um the drummer who's played by alison pill
1: well I, I will say kim the drummer kim mm-hmm. pine um i think she care, and i've read this like it seems like she actually does care about the band more than she lets on that's just kind of her character
0: mm-hmm. okay okay yeah. Yeah, 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 maybe her character being kind of this in, indifferent on the surface yeah. level. Okay, okay. I mean,
1: she, she's obviously got some multi layers, and we'll talk about that. Oh, for sure. With, you yeah. know, with her relationship with Scott. So, um, so he's seeing this this girl, knives, uh, seems to be even with her. Seems to be kind of aloof. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's that scene where they're they're playing in the arcade, and yeah, he he like makes her. Uh, pay for the the continue
0: well he's got no money and he's got no money for yeah that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. <laughs> he
1: just he's just kind of gliding along and there's a couple of scenes mm-hmm. I and mean, we'll we'll go into this more in detail but the scene transitions in this film are world-class it's not even close to great the amount of planning pre-production planning they have to do to map out these shots to block out these transitions is just masterful um there is also there's a nerd writer video that Delves into that exact topic in mm-hmm. detail um, and dissects, you know, a couple of a couple of scene transitions. But mm-hmm. um, some of them you don't even you almost don't even notice, and they're in completely different locations, and it's mm-hmm. just so well cut together. He eventually has kind of a daydream about mm-hmm. Ramona, and he sees her in his dreams before he actually sees her in person. So when he sees her in person, yeah. he's not sure if she's real.
0: Yeah. So so the thing is he doesn't have a day or even night job of any kind. No. And so he's sleeping at odd hours of the day and he doesn't sometimes even realize what time of the day it is. He thinks, Oh, well it's 6am or whatever. And turns out it's actually 1230.
1: Yeah. He was when he was supposed to take knives to the yeah. library. Yeah,
0: hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So he, he's completely, um, unaware of time passing. And because we're seeing this story really through his eyes, um, we can't get a grasp of how much time has passed between the beginning and the end of the story either. Mm -hmm. This could be a week or it could be just a couple of days or it could be several weeks. But again, uh, Scott has no sense of time. He has no structure in his life either. The only thing that really like grounds him to some sort of reality is the band. And uh, because we're seeing everything through his eyes, everything is this fantastical version of reality. And um, so that includes the ex-fights that uh, come along later and as well as kind of story that he tells himself about his past relationships and the current state of relationship that he has with people around him. So once Scott sees her in his dreams and Mm -hmm. then he actually sees her once at the library with, uh, while he's with knives, Mm -hmm. she's dropping off some sort of delivery or something and this is one of our favorite editing scene transitions that we talked about where all of a sudden he, like he's staring into into like space or staring at Ramona but we just see Michael Cera's face and all of a sudden we see Stephen Stills come out from left left side Scott yeah <laughs> and what, what I read about that is that uh, what they did was they actually had the actor uh, like at in the library like set or whatever actually yell uh in his ear mm-hmm. and that and then that transition to the next scene so they already had like had that planned out like they, yeah, they like you to. said the the the, the, no way. the massive like plan out and storyboarding that had to happen mm-hmm. for this is is quite impressive
1: sometimes transitions can happen by chance but mm-hmm. most of the time they're well
2: thought out
0: yep and that transition itself like they didn't have to include it like that but but again any place that they can add a little extra comedic punch they're gonna do it well, comedic That's function
1: great. also it it serves the story because Scott yeah. at this point is, like, in a uh, daze. In a daze, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, in that same scene, like right, when we get back to the house, uh, he he's like M- my girlfriend, and she's but and she's sitting right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. he forgot all about her, basically.
0: Yeah, Kim just goes like, "Is your girlfriend distracting you?" And he's like, "My girlfriend? What are you talking about?" Oh wait, I'm back in band practice.
1: Well, I kind of read it as like, wait, what girlfriend? I'm oh, yeah, I'm yeah. I'm obsessed with I I'm thinking about this person oh, that's who true. I don't even know exists. That's what that's how I read that.
0: Oh yeah, you know what? You have a good point. It's more it's... of a
1: cuz Scott as we learn has not been very kind to his relationships. They've mm-hmm. not ended very well, and he seems very dismissive about it.
0: mm mm-hmm. Mhm from From watching the the film and also from uh, my readings, my my journey through the the comic book uh, volumes, uh, he, for one, we talked about you mentioned the the how this is a hero's journey. Well, he puts himself as the hero of his story more so than I think a normal person would. Like in his mind, everything is, you know his his relationship is always um, with somebody jolly and they're always happy together and then something happens and he has to leave or something like that but the other person's not hurt everything's fine he you know he doesn't have to provide any kind of closure or anything like that so the whole mantra of you know leave the person better than how you found them That's
1: completely gone you know that doesn't exist with him
0: yeah he's not mature enough to to understand how to handle that
1: but that'll come back later later on the film and it'll Mm -hmm. be very important and mm-hmm. we'll talk about that um so he finds they go to this party mm-hmm. and he's he's finding out more and more information about uh ramona
2: mm-hmm.
1: um he finds out he finds out her name for one yep um by holding up this this like scribble <laughs> of, her, of her of her face um and he's asking questions and one of my favorite scenes is when he's talking to julie mm-hmm. at, It's
0: it's actually her party yep it's, it's her party it. yep. yeah Who's played by Aubrey Plaza?
1: Yes, and mm-hmm. she she seems to have some information about Ramona. She just moved here, got a job at Amazon, comes into my work. Does
0: she really? Didn't you say she just broke up with someone? Did she really? That a uh, huge fight or whatever? Did they really?
1: So it turns out she is actually at the party, mm-hmm. and he does try and talk to her. He tries to pull that that Pac Man line that he did with uh, with knives.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, it doesn't doesn't go over very well.
0: Yeah, because I, I think the way the reason why I worked with knives is that he comes off as this 22 year old that seems to know much more about the world than knives does and so she's impressed Mm -hmm. uh but for ramona who is his age possibly older she's obviously not impressed she's like okay yeah so well it's not that she
1: it's not also that she's not impressed his he's much more confident with mm-hmm. knives so his delivery was completely different it came off completely different he flubbed yeah. it when mm-hmm. he tried to say it, to tell the story again with Ramona mm-hmm. cuz he was he was intimidated by her he yeah was enamored his personality changed like he did a 180 when he was talking to her
0: yeah cuz somebody that he has to impress instead mm-hmm. of the other way around yeah
1: yeah it's like scott one of scott's first uh instances where he needs to make a little bit of effort
0: yeah mm mm-hmm. mhm actually make a good image of himself but he's he struggles to do that every day
1: yeah so find out that she works for amazon so he uh he orders a package and then immediately is sitting by the door like a little dog like Mm -hmm. waiting for his their owner to come home Mm -hmm. immediately and
0: uh yeah he wakes up and she's and she's ringing the doorbell so sometime sometime has gone by
1: but he starts dreaming about her mm-hmm. he starts dreaming that she's delivering this package mm-hmm. and then there's a doorbell that rings in his dream that is actually in real life so mm-hmm. there's another transition right there and he runs to the door and she has the package
0: yeah so this is where we uh start seeing uh, his dream world uh kind of actually come into reality so the first time was during the party mm-hmm. where he sees her now. Now this is the third time he has seen her, uh, without her really seeing him, and uh, he comes up to uh, one of the characters, Young Neil, who is this kind of kid in his early early twenties. I think he's supposed to be about. I think he's twenty. Twenty, yeah, actually twenty years old, who hangs around uh, the band, and. He goes dude what she's totally real who ramona flowers
1: and even though that she's in his kind of dream state, she tries to actually explain it which is kind of funny she's like oh you got this this really convenient subspace thing going mm-hmm. on like it that which just makes sense for this universe yeah um, and
0: and that's the thing you mentioned that this was very much like airplane in which uh the comedy in airplane works so well because everybody takes the situation seriously they don't just you know brush it off yeah so everything here is taken as if it absolutely exists in the real Mm -hmm. world um nobody is smirking at the camera um and uh there are some moments of kind of um some some meta moments where they where um like like you said the the one uh where ramona is talking about like well yeah there's just like um subspace through your mind that I go through is a nice, nice shortcut, and in the books, um, there's uh, a moment where um, Scott's sister is talking to um, their mom like on, on the cell phone. Is like, oh yeah, uh, Scott one, uh, got a one up in volume five. Uh, I forgot to tell you about that mom. Mm. <laughs> so so they're they're both meta, and they also accept the rules of the universe without really. Um, without w- winking at the camera for it. there's no there's no reason to to do that
1: yeah i think only this film could have a line that that says oh well uh todd punched a hole in the moon for me and yeah. just nobody nobody flinches at that and they, they actually do show the moon before that and it does have a hole punched yeah mm-hmm. so he he gets he scores a date with uh with ramona you know kind of basically begging at this point mm-hmm. um but let's not forget that he's still with knives we she's still in the picture oh but not, he's completely not, just dismissed her as we yeah, said
0: she's still in the, in the picture you know in the movie in the picture but out, out of his mind completely his mm-hmm. mind is taken over by ramona and that's part of his problem with um in, in the past too just as soon as a new person co- uh, you know comes into the picture old person starts to fade away
1: yeah and i think that's honestly like if we're going to to attach it to real life that's a that's a sign of immaturity Mm
0: -hmm. yeah
1: so uh but he does have a first date with ramona um, which i think is a turning point because not only is he cheating on knives he's actually technically cheating on ramona because he's also seeing knives at the same time so he's hurting they neither of them know at this point but he's and he doesn't care he's hurting two people right now Mm -hmm. and they don't even realize it yeah so Scott gets Ramona's number, which also has these seven X's on it, mm-hmm. which is obviously a reference to something to come, and uh, asked her to this Battle of the Bands thing that's going on that night, mm-hmm. and that's when technically Knives and Ramona meet, not realizing what's exactly going on, but mm-hmm. she does give Scott a kiss, and he starts to realize, oh my God, I, I may have made a mistake here
0: actually i think at the point where knives gives scott a kiss he wakes up and uh, like in his brain he wakes up and he's like oh crap both of my girlfriends are in the same space and oops i forgot to tell one of them yes that i there's another one in the picture now exactly and so the battle of the bands is an interesting uh kind of point where this uh where where this the story between the movie and the book diverges just a little bit Mm -hmm. the Movie, I think, did a really great job of adapting uh, Brian Lee O'Malley's story. Um, However, you know, how do you adapt, how do you successfully adapt um, six volumes of a, you know, graphic novel? Um, I think what they did for Scott Pilgrim was the perfect choice. So they took um, the Battle of the Bands concept, which did not Exist in the uh, the books, and they put this in here as um, a structure element to kind of um, structure the fights around, and also to kind of give an end goal. Almost like you know each um, level in Battle of the Bands is like in a video game, each level um, that a, a person uh, you know has to has to beat to get to the final boss, mm-hmm. right? So um, I would even say that each X is a level, and each stage in Battle of the Bands is like its own separate world. Super Mario 3 is the only game I have exposure to, so that's the only metaphor I can give no, you. Okay, because the,
1: <laughs> the seven evil exes, which we didn't fully explain yet because in the battle of bands that's when he's going to fight Matthew Patel, who's mm-hmm. the first evil ex. Yep. But we do find out that to date Ramona, Scott must not only fight but defeat her seven evil exes. Mm-hmm. And I this is one of the first things I wrote down. That was that's clearly tied to the progression of like a video game boss battles Mm -hmm.
2: um
1: they typically will get more difficult as you further Mm -hmm. you know progress in the story in the video game um this happens just just like in the film
0: Mm -hmm. yeah so so that's what makes it um much more fun to watch than other movies that uh have been adapted from video games because
1: um well this is uh, and this would this is why this works. It's yeah. not adapted from a video game. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. No, I'm sorry. It's yeah. like
1: the reverse. It's yeah.
0: It's almost like the reverse. They make a video game out of this. Uh, all all of these fights, but it's not one of those where, like oh, why am I watching somebody play a video game kind of deal. You're you're watching actually the story progress through these fights. Mm-hmm. So when I first, I mean. When I first watched it, I watched uh, this movie surface level and then I started thinking, okay, well, obviously this is all going on in his mind and, um, or not, well, not that obviously, I mean, one interpretation is that this can all be going on in his mind and that he's embellishing what's going on um, in real life, which could be just a simple, you know, face to face kind of um, encounter perhaps a confrontation perhaps some sort of argument or something with her previous exes just by stumbling uh through them um or by her mentioning them he's really fighting with himself he's Mm -hmm. he's fighting with um uh with her past memories of them and so he has to defeat her past memories of them in order to date her that's how i started interpreting this as and then i started thinking even more about, okay, well, does each evil ex represent a sin that he has to battle within himself? And then I read the the graphic novels, um, and I remember reading um, at the end of the first volume, there's uh, bits that um, the author talks about what inspired uh, the characters and the settings and the, um, the evil exes. And he wrote, he said, I don't know, Seven just sound like a good number to use, <laughs> and so my whole theory of seven sins and everything just flew right out the window. <laughs> Even though one of the challengers uh, is, uh, well, not really a challenger, not an ex, but uh, a challenger that Scott has to kind of face with is a, a past girlfriend of his envy, which we'll come to later. So it's one of those situations of, you can read way too deep into something, <laughs> and you can and you can go the other way and not read into it at all mm-hmm. so there's a whole gray area in the middle interpret it as you wish
1: yeah so before we go into the matthew patel fight uh there are a couple moments in this battle of the bands that are by far my favorite in the in the entire film uh two in particular when he, when scott sees ramona and knives talking mm-hmm. on the balcony mm-hmm. and it cuts it like kind of has an overlay close-up of his face and he's like
2: <laughs> yeah. This is a nightmare.
1: We need to play now and loud. There's that, because it goes from that to basically him just like staring mm-hmm. at them. And that's when uh, Steven has that kind of freak out. And oh, he's yeah, like, yeah. oh, my God, Scott, why are you just...
0: <laughs> why are you just standing there? <laughs>
1: You're freaking me out. And it's
0: great. And it's a it's, it's a great little bit because the band that is playing before them is so loud that they actually have to put subtitles and yes. somehow the subtitles make it funnier because yes. you understand exactly what Steven Stills is saying. And, and he's just like just freaking out or like he, he's just absolutely like spassing out because he's he sees this other band and he's like, oh, my God, they're better than us. And he sees his dreams of uh, 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 a record label recognizing them and just go up and smoke. Yeah. But this is a great band. And, and uh, why, why is that? They, they play the shortest song known to man <laughs>
1: the song is called i am so sad i am so very very sad goes a little something like this so thank you not a race guys so he defeats matthew patel who <laughs> with if we go back a little bit, he actually does receive an email yeah. from Matthew Patel and it looks like he's all Scott. It looks like he's he's all wound up about it. Mhm. But then he just deletes it and it's it's hilarious. Yeah. It's like this it's like it's doing these really fast uh macro cuts mm-hmm. from the screen to his to his eyes. This
2: is This is This is what this is Boring.
0: So, it's a it's a fake out, but a but a, a clever comedic fake out. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Ramona explains the whole seventy of Alexis thing to him, and he they confirm that they're dating now. Um, but that means he must break up with with knives, which he does, mm-hmm. uh, very and, dismissively as he's yeah. as he's one to do.
0: And he has to be actually convinced at this point by. Um, by Wallace, uh, the Kieran Culkin character, uh, to break up with knives. Mm -hmm. And how does Scott respond? But it's hard. So he doesn't even want to take the responsibility to break up with knives properly, even though he wants the joys of a new relationship with Ramona. So again, showing his immaturity, but um, it all feeds towards his character. So his character is not the most noble character, but his laziness and indifference does uh serve its comedic purposes yeah
1: yeah and how does he tell his bandmates that he breaks up with her do you remember
0: um something about well the, knives wasn't showing up to the latest band rehearsal and he's like well sh- we're no longer together but soon you'll meet my new new girlfriend
1: no we broke up hey check it out i learned the baseline from
0: final fantasy 2 Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Oh, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Scott. I
1: know that Final Fantasy 2 in the United States is Final Fantasy 4 in Japan, so don't worry, but he says Final Fantasy 2 and he's technically right because that's what it was in the United States.
0: Mm-hmm. And can I just make a point like up to this point um from what I read in the in the in the graphic novel, uh it is as if they used by they, I mean Edgar Wright and and, and the whole, uh, you know, uh, the writers, they use the comic book as almost a, um, a storyboard for this film mm-hmm. because the shots are recreated so loyally. It's, it's just so great. Um, even down to the the god hipster girls that are floating around uh, Matthew Patel mm-hmm. while he's fighting, like, it's, it's great. Even the lines, the lines that um, up to this point, um, you know, even the Final Fantasy Two line, like it's like word for word. and it's great. It's not like uh, it's not a case where being loyal to the source material is hindering the story because it makes the because it's making the movie longer, or it's making the movie drag on. it is um it is just the comic book really coming to life. And this is really a great, like I said, i this is one of my favorite um, adaptations uh, of uh, a novel to. Or some sort of printed medium to a a more um, you know uh, TV or or film uh, medium, um, but also at, at, right after the Matthew Patel fight, this is where things start to diverge between the book and the movie. So even though uh, we will see things recreated or things from the mo- um, well from the graphic novel really inspire a lot in the movie, um, there will be quotes that were maybe later down. Uh, later on in the volumes that come up a little earlier in the Mm -hmm. story in the in the film or certain things are combined but again this film is almost two hours long so it's absolutely understandable why they had to combine and why they had to move some things around they wanted to really keep the good stuff and um, and really focus the story because otherwise we would have had like a six-part miniseries Um, so they focused on comedy they're focused on Uh, keeping the story structured um, and also that unfortunately led to cutting out a couple of characters that we never see in the film that happen in the book Uh um, that occur in the book which I think is great extra material for a possible sequel that may never ever happen but um, but again we can we can dream so um, again love the way that they adapted it
1: so evil x number two played by chris evans uh plays a uh, a kind of a macho movie star an action mm-hmm. star um which you don't even realize you don't even know he's the the x until they're watching the production whatever they, you know, they're at a, yeah. they're they're on set watching the filming um and he he points at him he's like no i'm talking to you scott pilgrim
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's great how do we first see him he comes out of his trailer
1: he I mean, comes out of the trailer and it's playing the universal, universal theme. Yeah. And then he, like, in the, the two, like, the downbeats in the universal theme are, are synced up with him cracking his neck. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's pretty hilarious. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And this time we actually hear the universal theme, the real quote unquote version. So, so he points Scott Pilgrim, and uh, Ramona already has a frightening look on her face because, like, oh, God. It, and, and we already know now. Yeah, right. that's
1: a recurring theme mm-hmm. in this because they're not always explicitly stated. Um, mm-hmm. he, he does get a list later, but yeah, uh, that's because he asked for it. But um, yeah, and it's he does, so he fights uh, Lucas mm-hmm. and his his stuntman who all kind of look like him or some of them look like him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he doesn't actually, def- so we find out that by, def- he doesn't always have to defeat them physically. Mm-hmm um he challenges them to uh do a a a grindy thingy off the rail because not only is he good at skateboarding but he's he's got his own uh skateboard company bro bro
0: (laughs) which and here's the thing this is where i started getting um you know after thinking okay one of the characters names envy maybe it is a is a seven deadly sins kind of thing i thought okay well maybe lucas lee represents vanity because he's so proud of himself he even says um He answers Kieran Culkin's character when, um, when he says like, I'm such a big fan and Chris Evans replies, why wouldn't you be (laughs) like, like, he's like, okay, he has to, he has to defeat, um, a boyfriend, an ex-boyfriend who is so vain that he does not back down from a simple, well, just a little like verbal challenge of, Hey, I bet you can't do a grindy thingy off that rail, but there are girls watching, you know? So, um, he def- he defeats him um, by kind of playing with his with Lucas Lee's um, kind of sin there. Yeah, like his downfall is his pride.
1: And well, he'll do it again later mm-hmm. with Todd. You know, mm-hmm. kind of messing with his intelligence.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So number two is defeated.
0: Mm-hmm. And what do we usually see when the the evil exes are defeated?
1: So they blow up into a bunch of coins yeah. <laughs> uh which is which is very reminiscent of you know mario or or sonic with the the rings
0: Mm-hmm. and you would think that oh it's just kind of i thought maybe at first they were like fireworks or something but then he actually uses the coins for bus fare like like it, it just comes yeah. back and like yeah oh man i have to use this for bus fare it's not even enough so she yeah he gives him the rest mm-hmm yeah so at this point we're also um, we've progressed past the first stage of the battle of bands. So not only is Scott progressing through the evil X's, but the band is also progressing through the stages of the battle of bands and the uh, the winner um, gets a record deal mm-hmm. right So there are a couple things on the line here a record deal and Ramona's affections and uh, being able to to date her. So who's next?
1: So the next is Todd, who is actually the bassist in Envy Adams' band, mm-hmm. the Clash at Demonhead. Envy mm-hmm. Adams uh, dated Scott at one point, and they had a, a very bad breakup. Mm-hmm. But she invites them to the to their concert.
0: Mm-hmm. Actually, they, she invites them to open for Clash at yes. Demonhead. Yeah, so it's not just it's not just oh. I just you know want to see you again because we're in town it's i want to humiliate you now and it 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 kind of gets you thinking like why is she so angry with with him when she broke up with him and Mm -hmm. i think it's well i think it's because there's something that you know scott um did in their relationship maybe um that he's possibly not aware of and that's why he takes it as uh this was a breakup that was really brutal and came out of nowhere Mm-hmm. Where instead maybe he did something he just doesn't know, and or doesn't even remember it that way. So, what we see after, well, <laughs> one of the there's so many great lines in this, but after, uh, Brie Larson's performance to the to one of the catchiest songs that will that has one of the best earworms that will stay in your mind, mm-hmm. as it did in mine for like three days straight. Um, we we see them, uh, waiting for the crowd to clear up. After the the concert, and what does Young Neil say about their performance?
1: You should see him live; and much better
0: live. I think I'm gonna throw up. So it's little tidbits like that that really makes this movie a gem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Envy invites uh, the band uh, to hang out with him backstage, and uh, it seemed like neither party really wants to be there. But uh, Envy's really enjoying seeing Scott be humiliated and uncomfortable. Um, sitting there in a uh, couch across from them. And so they exchange some banter, and it, the tension is really, really building up until, um, well, at this point, Scott knows that he's going to have to defeat Todd. He's the ex, uh, the third ex that he has to defeat. And, I mean, it couldn't be more obvious. He has a number three on his shirt, mm-hmm. <laughs> so we know that that's some, that is about to happen. And just as, he, as Scott is ready to throw a punch, uh, he actually starts levitating and uh todd's eyes kind of become all white and his hair starts it just becomes really luminescent and uh we discover that he has these uh psychokinetic powers because he is a vegan
1: (laughs) (laughs) so right before that's actually one of our favorite moments in the entire film Mm -hmm. Uh, not the fact that he punches a girl he punches uh, knives but he actually knocks the highlights out of her hair, which yeah. then causes Neil to say,
2: "You punched the highlights
0: out of her hair. Oh. He punched the highlights out of her hair. So how does Scott defeat Todd in the end?
1: So Scott defeats Todd not using his physical prowess, mm-hmm. but actually he kind of tricks him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, he tricks him into drinking a latte that has regular milk, or half and half in it. Half and half, yep. instead of soy milk he's got two cups mm-hmm. and he's like oh i can see in your mind's eye that you put uh half and half in one of those mm-hmm. and he tricks him into thinking which one it actually is using mm-hmm. his mind's eye or whatever or
0: whatever yeah so todd is reading his mind but at the same time he miscalculates on which cup it is and drinks uh from the wrong cup mm-hmm. and so he violates the vegan rules and turns out it's his th- third strike, so uh, his vegan powers uh, get taken away from him. Yep. And now uh, Scott can headbutt him and defeat the third evil X.
1: Yes. So following Todd is Roxy, the only female of the group. Which every time Scott would say, "I have to defeat your ex-boyfriend," she, uh, Ramona, would always correct him and say X's, X's. Mm-hmm. and it was kind of building up to this moment mm-hmm. uh that it's that one of the people that she was with uh, happened to be a female so ramona ends up fighting roxy. yeah
0: yeah so they start off both both scott and ramona uh start fighting roxy because scott doesn't want to uh fight a, a female mm-hmm Um, he, he doesn't feel comfortable with that. So she, so Ramona kind of maneuvers, um, him fights for him, like, well, well,
1: using his arms and Mm -hmm. yeah, but in the comic, it was a little bit different, right?
0: Right. So in the the graphic novel, yeah. Um, at this point, so, so once we finish with the Matthew Patel, like this is where, uh, with Matthew Patel fight, this is where it starts, uh, diverging and you see the biggest difference actually start in the, um, the introduction um of envy and todd so todd has a bigger backstory and you find out he's a pretty pretty bad guy um not just a little bit kind of unknowledgeable of what incorrigible means Mm -hmm. but um we for one thing uh Envy Adams has, like, really deep Mary Jane kind of, like, red hair. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about that before, how in the movie, uh, Brie Larson, she has, like, platinum blonde hair. And so you were saying that this was actually, uh, uh, like, a director's decision, right?
1: Yeah, they they tried out the red hair, and it just didn't work for Mm -hmm. Brie Larson. So they went with the blonde.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine that kind of hair i was trying to imagine it and I just it just it, it, in my mind's in my mind's eye it did not look hmm. quite right mm-hmm. um so that was just a smart decision just f- uh for the movie to kind of um do a different styling there yeah. but um that's not the only little um inconsistency once we um uh you know talk uh, start, start going um off into the um roxy fight that's actually a combination of the Roxy fight and the Envy fight. There's mm-hmm. actually a more extended Envy fight in the comic books in which Ramona has to uh, fight Envy a bit. And so she kind of has to defeat Envy. Um, and then later Scott has to defeat um, more on his own um, Roxy. So mm-hmm. yeah, like I said, this was, uh, this where it kind of gets diverged and the, uh, the lines that Ramona uses in the Roxy fight in the movie was actually uh, lines that she used during her fight with Envy in the book mm-hmm. so there, like i said there's a lot more um uh, backstory and a lot more a lot more fights and a lot just a lot of things more involved in the comic book but it does um it does make sense that in the comic book it's a little bit more extended since they're both going through something both Ramona and Scott like Ramona's trying to get over Gideon while Scott is still recovering from a very bad breakup with Mm -hmm. Envy. And so they're both scarred and they're both trying to um, kind of heal from past breakups and relationships. Yep.
1: Yeah. And did you notice, so after this, uh, Scott starts to get a little frustrated with the whole process. Yeah. Kind of lashes out at, uh, well, he starts drinking, you know, he has a drink and he starts lashing out um and he actually asked uh ramona for a list Mm -hmm. and jokingly says you know make sure you know that it would be laminated and then a couple moments later she does actually give him a list which is actually laminated of the remaining exes Mm -hmm. um so this is where we start to kind of get into it's starting to get into like the low point of the film yeah um because they they do it actually break
2: up here
0: so you know i didn't really notice that every time i watch this movie i always think okay well they're kind of taking a break not breaking up but more of they kind of need a break from each other because she's not she doesn't she's not standing for his attitude and he can't stand fighting her exes constantly Mm -hmm. so they kind of go their separate ways so i didn't but i didn't see it as a full-on breakup breakup. yeah yeah Yeah. but that's just in my opinion so what comes next. The next is, uh, the next, uh, Fifth level. Fifth and six. Fifth and six. Yep. So it's the next level of the X's uh, f- uh fights.
1: Yep. It's the uh, Katanagi twins. hmm And you notice that each, like we mentioned before, this is kind of like a progressive boss battle in a video game. hmm Each boss gets a little more difficult. Yeah. As as we progress, um, this one in particular is pretty interesting in that. Uh I, I know you're not a Final Fantasy fan, but mm-hmm. I am. <laughs> but this gave me uh shades of summoning uh different abilities, oh, like okay. using the summon ability in many mm-hmm. different Final Fantasy games. Um it, that that's basically what happens during this battle of the bands where the 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 twins kind of have their summon, Sex Bomb has their summon and it mm-hmm. goes, you know, against each other. Pretty interesting that they would bring in a subtle nod I think to Mm -hmm. rpgs in general but final fantasy most likely because we mentioned final fantasy earlier in the film as well
0: yeah that's that's pretty cool yeah i'm not i'm not not a fan it's more of just i'm not too much of a gamer so my interpretation was more of like um like things i saw in like um kung fu hustle Mm -hmm. where they kind of kind of bring in like an like an air spirit and fight uh yeah. the character in that yeah i mean but it's still I, I, really I enjoyable still yeah. works yeah oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah I, that's the thing that's great about this film you can not fully understand all the references but it's still so enjoyable because the comedy uh is not dependent on the references
1: yeah and we, and we here in this same scene we notice that uh ramona is in the crowd with gideon who mm-hmm. we, is revealed as uh mr g of the record label and so this, if, if they didn't break up before, if they were mm-hmm. just having a break before they they definitely break up here because mm-hmm. she leaves with Gideon. Yeah, they, Sex Bomb signs the the deal, even mm-hmm. though Scott's like no no way. Uh, but you know the rest of the band has a different uh plans with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, Young Neil is gonna take his place as the bassist. The bassist. Mm-hmm. And they, they sign sign their life away basically to to Gideon and also uh, Ramona leaves with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so but it's revealed a little bit later on why she does this.
0: Yeah, yeah. So at this point, this is Scott's low point where he's basically lost everything. He's lost his band and he's lost his girlfriend, and um he is confiding in his sister. It's kind of funny scene where he's confiding in his sister, played mm-hmm. by Anna Kendrick, um, about what? his his sadness. Yeah, and I I love the quote where she's like, "Well, the next time." we just won't date somebody with 11 evil exes
1: he's like seven
0: well that's not that bad (laughs) uh,
1: it's a great line and then she's she's right back on her on her cell phone on her cell phone yeah so like i was saying earlier even though this this film is is very uh kinetic and very flashy Mm -hmm. it does follow a pretty uh standard structure in terms of the storytelling so this is our normal low point yep every hero hero's journey goes through that low point we are here and it's almost like a video game where you you know that all the other exes are gone so you have this last ex who's Mm -hmm. technically the final boss of like a video game so this is gideon and uh scott goes to the chaos theater which is a reference to earthbound oh uh one of the great rpgs on super nintendo Actually, one of the great rpgs of all time um so he goes to the chaos theater where Sex Bomb is playing. They're opening it, and fights Gideon.
0: Mm-hmm. So he fights Gideon using the sword of the power of love, mm-hmm. basically, right? So uh, he musters up the strength to first show up, and now
1: and tells tells him mm-hmm. that he loves Ramona. Yes, yeah. So hence that's the sword.
0: Yeah. So so that he re- he kind of. Uh, reveals and um, declares his purpose for being there and um, he fights gideon but is not strong enough to defeat him and actually dies
1: but before he does that Mm -hmm. he does reveal to uh ramona and knives that he cheated on both of them
0: right so that happens really only once Knives jumps into the fight Mm -hmm. and starts fighting Ramona because she thinks that Ramona stole Scott from her. Yes. Uh, What happens in the comic book is that uh, Knives actually does attack Ramona in the library much, much earlier Mm -hmm. in the story. And uh, (laughs) she just hates Ramona throughout. And really the story takes place over over the course of about a year. Um, while this movie, you can't really tell um, how long the story has been going on for. Like I said, it could be a week for all we know. So she confronts Ramona. She's very angry about um, how she was dumped and sees Ramona as the cause of her suffering at this point. And that's where they both realize and Scott reveals that um, they were being cheated on. And that revelation in that way is what defeats him that's what gives getting the upper hand to defeat him Mm -hmm. catch him off guard catch scott off guard and defeat him so now that scott's dead he's back in his dream world desert
1: yes and he takes advantage Mm -hmm. of something that he gets earlier in the movie which is a one-up which is a one-up so just clearly you know more and more game video game references Mm -hmm. Um, but this is what i also interpreted this was and i think i have more of a kind of a a look at this than maybe you would because you don't you didn't play as many games Mm -hmm. you know i obviously still play games and played a lot of games growing up um oftentimes when you get to a final boss you you don't always beat the final boss the Mm -hmm. first time around and you kind of have to learn their uh patterns and weaknesses and Mm -hmm. you might have to try a couple times Mm -hmm. so i love the fact that he goes through the whole process of getting into the Chaos Theater again, mm-hmm. like, you know, the different, like, passwords and stuff. Um, to me, that was that was going through the whatever you need to get to to get to the final boss. Because mm-hmm. oftentimes, like, say if you lose to the final boss and you die, you're not, like, put right outside the door or wherever you're fighting it. It might mm-hmm. be further back, and you have to go through another series of tests before you can do mm-hmm. that again. But you might get back there quicker because you've already done it, Mm-hmm. And you know how to get through that point portion of it, yeah. Which I think is kind of like what Scott did.
0: Oh, okay, yeah. Like, so my experience has been only with Super Mario Three. So the way that I mm-hmm. see it is like you described, but it's through like the the main castle. Yeah. So say if, you, say if you say if you
1: you know so World Eight, you get the Bowser. Yep. Okay. Uh, he, you get to the point where y- you get you have one more set of bricks that you have to get him to to mm-hmm. bash through, but you die. Well, you're not going to go, you're not going to start off again. You're not going to respawn right outside Bowser's uh, lair. Right. You're going to go back to the beginning of the castle.
0: Right, right. And so you still have to go through all the little challenges in the castle, but you now know how to get there past Yes. Yep. Mhm. Yeah. And so Scott comes back to life, which it, it it that is what happens in in the book as well. Mm-hmm. Um Scott comes back to life using a one-up and but this time he fights with the sword with the power of self-respect
1: well before that though mm-hmm. so before because the only reason he gets that is because he also let's not forget he makes peace with with his friends you know he he calls neil uh young neil neil be, Neil, but more importantly he he doesn't apologize but he uh reflects and acknowledges his mistakes with kim Yes, and she gives him a kind of a subtle smile of acceptance, and that's Mm -hmm. kind of like all she was waiting. Like it seems like that she was been waiting for that for, however many years.
0: Yeah, yeah, and uh, there's so much more backstory between the two of them that Mm -hmm. the film just did not have time to reveal. Um, uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the Animation uh apparently does have a little bit more backstory about both Kim and Lisa who was mentioned only in a sentence that uh Julie um spoke back in the party, in the party scene, scene yeah. yeah and so um there's definitely a lot more uh backstory there um the sh- the short the adult swim short uh, uh created the animation and of course there's so much more backstory in the comic book mm-hmm. um which is why the the line that uh uh, camo uh the character says the second time around when scott uh, arrives back at the chaos theater after his death is that well he says uh the comic book's way better you gotta Mm -hmm. read the comic
1: book and it's easy Mm -hmm. to miss that oh yeah so i love that it's kind of hidden in there
0: yeah and the thing is i i mean i watched it i watched this movie several times and it wasn't until I realized that this was based off a comic book that that line really stuck in my head. Mm-hmm. And it really prompted me to read the comic book and think, okay, is it is the comic book actually better? The comic book's definitely much more involved and there's just so much more backstory that gives really a lot of emotional um, kind of mapping of everything that, that happened in Scott's life, Scott's interaction with Kim why he broke up with him, how he treated her, what their relationship was like, because in the film, Scott says, "Well, Kim and I just dated for like a week, and she well, had that's freckles, back to I his think. dismissive yeah, really dismissive mm-hmm. yeah, um, while instead, they really did have a much longer relationship, um uh, much more like intimate relationship, and he and, and ba- back in his high school years, and then he moved away. Um, and without even telling her that he's going to move away. So it really tore her apart. Mm-hmm. It was r- really such a um, sudden break that uh, it left her um, pretty pretty sad, pretty depressed for a little while. So that's why we see Kim's character um, throughout the comic book and therefore reflected in the film as being this really um, bitter person. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, seeing scott realize that he's been a jerk not just just kind of callous but not even realizing his mistakes in the past and thinking that everything was okay um realizing his mistake with doing that and realizing um how much he's he's hurt her by not paying attention to her as a person um she she once she sees that change she actually uh, begins to heal
1: yeah, and it's actually one of my favorite moments in the film. I think it's, it's very subtle, but it's really very important. Mm-hmm. And I think that probably has the biggest chunk of him learning a lesson and yeah. growing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's part of a good portion of why he acquires the power of self-respect.
0: Yeah, and maybe what this is trying to tell us. And the, again, the movie just did not have time to go into it too much, but. Um, uh whoever whoever's listening the uh, comic book really does uh I think what it says is you know every relationship we're going to learn something about ourselves and about the other person mm-hmm. and then if we have to move on from that relationship in the next relationship we might find out what we did wrong in the past relationship that next relationship might, might make us reflect more on what we did in the past and yeah. what we should do better in the present and that kim ramona and scott um dynamic and history i think is um what is helping him realize his past mistakes and how he can move on and actually be a better person and a better boyfriend
1: well said so he defeats gideon Mm -hmm. and then in a very very video game like way for a split moment we think he's going to have to fight himself the Mm -hmm. uh, nega scott the nega scott uh but then, in one of the the best moments of the film, it, we we smash cut to outside of the <laughs> venue, and he's just he's just walking outside with his next to his uh his doppelganger, his 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 nega self, and uh, he's like,
2: yeah, he's just a just a really nice guy. We're gonna
1: get we're gonna get a pancake. Yeah. We're gonna get breakfast and yeah, shut the shit. Yeah, I'll I'll add that that line yeah. in the in the film. Yeah. Um, but I did want to point out the the whole nega Scott thing mm-hmm. uh reminded me a lot of uh zelda 2 the adventure of link as you know i'm a huge zelda fan mm-hmm. but the spoilers you know while well, the game's been out since 1988 but um, the the actual final boss of zelda 2 is shadow link after you fight uh the, the the final boss
0: is this the one with the like the dark world no no that's no.
1: that's a link that's a link to the past oh geez uh okay. this one is this one's kind of considered the dark horse of the, the Zelda series mm-hmm. um it's not it's it, to me it's not a bad game it's it's just fairly difficult it's much more difficult than most of the other Zelda games um but it it, it was different in that it had a lot of side scrolling mm-hmm. uh it was primarily a side scroller and it had some rpg elements that most other the uh, Zelda games don't have so kind of like leveling up uh different abilities and um things like that it it came out at a time when dragon quest was getting very popular Mm -hmm. uh, in in japan so nintendo kind of wanted they they switched up the entire formula from zelda one to zelda two and uh it sold very well it just Mm -hmm. people look back at it on as a as a kind of a, a much different experience and it's usually not considered one of the best zelda games
0: oh all right so in terms of the negascot um i'm just going to be a little bit of a stickler to the comic book story so Mm -hmm. we do see nega scott in the comic book story um kind of like you know what it reminds me of he he visits scott or he's in the shadows uh, uh kind of looking at scott um in a couple points in the book before he finally confronts him okay all right so it's not it's not even at the very very end of the story like you see at the almost very very end of the film um it almost reminds me of um, that sci-fi miniseries, Earthsea, where no. <laughs> where we see the, sh- uh, the shadow um, keep that keeps following, um, what's the actor's name? Ashton? Sean Ashmore. Sh- Sean Ashmore. I can never remember his name right. And um, so in the comic book story, yeah, he kind of follows him um, around in just a couple of points. And his final confrontation with nega scott uh is not, it's, it's not like it's it's not like they they fight or, or they argue but he he finally accepts that there is this darker side to him uh-huh. that has treated his ex his exes very poorly and um it's it's just clearly a metaphor for he was running away from himself uh-huh. he didn't did not want to accept that um darker side of him he he didn't even want to think about it um but that wasn't letting him grow so now that he was finally able to face himself and face his mistakes and his darker side um he's able to grow now as a person and and not make those mistakes again and so it was a bit more emotional and not as comedic as it was in the film um but i don't think they had time again this is almost two hours yeah i don't think they had time for all of that i think that what instead they did was they um amalgamated all of that into one scene um at the very end right before uh scott like kicks gideon for good Mm -hmm. uh where he talks to knives and said i'm sorry i cheated on you like I was I was not a good boyfriend to you and Ramona, I'm sorry that I cheated I cheated on you too, like I cheated on both of you and that was not very nice of me. Um you guys are both, you know, really good people and you guys should not fight each other because you're not you did not cause the other one suffering. It was all my fault. Yeah. So hence. I think that they dealt with that portion really yeah. well.
1: And hence the 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 growth. Mm-hmm. as yes. as any hero should. Have to have a satisfying hero's journey. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what happens at the very end? You know, uh, does he does he leave with Ramona or does he leave with knives?
0: Well, that depends what ending you choose to watch. So, the the ending, the official ending, is that uh, knives finally is able to let Scott go, and. Um, They seem to, you know, maybe they'll be friends in the future, but uh, they're they're able to leave on peaceful terms. And uh, Scott um, asks Ramona if they want to try again. She doesn't want to deal with drama anymore. And um, now that he's grown, he wants to try this relationship now from a new perspective.
1: Mm -hmm. And they leave through the the thingy, the door. The door. uh, And the the camera uh, pans up and you see this continue with uh, a countdown which is very rem- mm-hmm. reminiscent of many arcade games and street fighter uh for sure mm-hmm. uh, just an- another subtle nod, and it i love that it cuts to black on the on the zero
0: yeah at the very end yeah because it's not like uh it's it's not like he had to save ramona she wasn't a damsel in distress he needed to grow in order to be a better person in a relationship and them cutting before the countdown completely ends is a great way of saying you know the story has ended it doesn't matter how they end up five years from now this is this was a story this it was about his growth will will their relationship last will it continue forward we don't know that's that's up to those two characters that's not up to us to watch hey Hey, mind if I take along? You want to come with me? Yeah. Uh, maybe we could try again.
1: So why don't you tell us more about the graphic novel?
0: All right. So Brian uh, Leo Malley mm-hmm. um, used uh, places that um, he found or grew up around in Toronto, Canada, and um, to Toronto It's Toronto oh I'm sorry <laughs> um well he he used um places that he saw or that he knew um in Toronto um to use in the story so the house that we see that's in the comic book um that is replicated in the film is a real place mm-hmm. and the little what should I want to say not even an apartment but the hole that Scott lives in is um, actually opposite that house. So um, he used real places. He used uh, real people that um, he knew to help inspire some of the characters. Um, he even notes that you know the looks he were inspired by uh, real people, but um, of course he over over exaggerated some characteristics. So for example, he said the um, the real person that inspired the character Julie, she's um, not really that much of a meanie and nothing even close to that mm-hmm. but um you know some of the characters looks were definitely inspired by real people um the so some of the things that uh I, I was noticing as I was reading the um graphic novel so for one thing and I'm curious why they did this but in the film Scott is 22 years old mm-hmm. in the book he's 23 I don't know what difference that makes <laughs> but he is he he is 23 in the book he starts out 23 and it's um it's pretty cool the way that they um give the stats for everybody as mm-hmm. you open up the uh, the
1: in the in the graphic novel or
0: the film well they're actually the same and, okay exactly the same yep um it's it's really great so the font in uh, the graphic novel is replicated exactly in the film. Um, the little stats, everybody, replicated exactly um, when, in the when film. When the
1: stat pops up for mm-hmm. Scott and mm-hmm. it does say he's 22 years old, there is a the flute sound effect from oh, yeah. A Link to the Past, <laughs> which is if you if you don't you, you could easily miss it.
0: 22. You're dating a high school girl. Uh, fun fact: A Link to the Past is also name of a chapter in the graphic novel. So, oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So the 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 references are uh, are not specifically all you know edgar wright's ideas there was so much that is in the comic book that the author um put in himself so the um the the logos on scott's shirts um you know the 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 game references the um just the pop culture references uh they're you know all in the comic book um really 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 great and like i mentioned before the the look of um you know some of the panels even like the way that uh scott you see scott in the desert of Mm -hmm. his mind uh is replicated like like one-to-one yeah um, you notice like the the aspect ratio in Mm -hmm. the
1: film when when we see those desert scenes it kind of it changes almost like the panel of the of the graphic novel oh yeah Uh, Mm mm-hmm Going back to a Link to the Past, that actually makes a lot of sense because Brian Lee O'Malley would have been about 12 years old when a Link to the Past came out. Oh, really? Okay. So I think that was probably right in his his childhood.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I was only four, so I didn't. I would say I didn't play it until I was maybe five or six, but uh, soon it easily became one of my favorite, if not my favorite, game of mm. all time. <laughs> um,
0: Yep. And the, so the second volume actually of the graphic novel is called Scott Pilgrim versus the world. That is what mm-hmm. inspired um, the name of the film. And the way that I thought about it is that both the graphic novel and the film, these are all really, 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 really young adults. And it brought me back to what um, someone once wrote about Romeo and Juliet. Uh, I, I think it was even Shakespeare that wrote it, but I can't quite remember at the time. Uh, that Romeo and Juliet is a tragedy, but it's a tragedy through teenagers' eyes. Mm-hmm. So him versus the world. You know, when you're that young and something goes wrong, you feel like the whole whole world is against you, and so everything is exaggerated. Even the darn title is an exaggeration of the kind of crisis that Scott is experiencing. So I just I just found that uh, can I uh really comical
1: can I uh shamefully put an Amberlin reference in this of course <laughs> so we're talking about versus the world being kind of a a, a a juvenile thing a immature thing right is that what we're saying
0: hi, hi, hyperbolic hyperbolic yeah yeah
1: <laughs> so um the first three albums Amberlin. Mm-hmm. uh you know the first one being blueprints uh for the black market second being uh, never take friendship personal and the third one being cities so Stephen Christian, the lead singer, he actually described those three albums as uh, the first one being like it's man versus the world is the, mm-hmm. is the message, the second one being man versus man, mm-hmm. and then the third one, Cities, being man versus self. Okay. So as the way he, he uh, described it was we, we progress, got progressively more mature as mm-hmm. those three albums <laughs> made uh, you know were made and Cities is known as their, uh, you know, most popular album, Mm -hmm. Um, but it showed their maturity, so that just kind of reminded me of that.
0: Oh, wow. Well, uh, speaking of Anne Berlin, how did they get their band name? And this is relevant to Scott Pilgrim.
1: So I know there's been a couple of stories about that, um, but I believe that Stephen Christian confirmed that it was actually from the Radiohead song... Uh, everything in its right place and then that there is a part in the song that it sounds like they're saying the words Amberlynn over and over oh. again.
0: Mm-hmm. All right so the reason why I bring that up is that is kind of similar to how Scott Pilgrim got his name. So Brian Lee O'Malley was um, an audience member during a like a punk rock concert that he was attending and he had to uh, leave the concert, but as reluctantly, as he put it, but as he's leaving the concert, he heard the band uh, play a song, and part of the the lyrics, uh, he heard Scott Pilgrim. And so that started, that kind of sparked an idea, and he started thinking, well, who would Scott Pilgrim be? What is his backstory? What is his character? And from that flourished this graphic novel. Mm Mm-hmm. And the way that he talks about how he writes, um, he wrote this comic book is that, well, the way that he writes in general, he said that he writes um, everything first like a screenplay and then does the uh, the drawings. And he starts out by drawing the panels first, putting the, um, the word bubbles where he thinks they should be, and then drawing everything around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I found that pretty fascinating because if he, he starts out writing everything like a screenplay... Then it becomes a graphic novel, and this graphic novel ends up becoming, again, a screenplay in the film. Yeah, so, so you already just, have your
1: screenplay written. Yep. I feel like, I mean, I'm obviously not a graphic uh, artist. Uh, well, I mean, not a graphic novel uh, or a comic book artist. But I feel like that would be the most logical way for me to, if I were to create something like that, that's how I would do it. I would write it yeah. out of the screenplay first uh, in, in uh, standard screenplay format and then i would uh visualize it just like a storyboard
0: yeah i mean that's really the the like i said the way that i saw this film is um is that the comic book storyboarded the film already mm-hmm. there's just so much and even though um and we even saw a, a um interview where um, Edgar Wright admitted that, like there's so much that Brian Lee O'Malley's work in the comic book already kind of did for the film already. Mm-hmm. Um, um, like the location and and um like all the re- research that the author did. Um, it was so helpful because it just fed so organically into the film. Here's a little fun fact. The scene that we see in the film, uh, that uh, um, where Scott is cooking dinner for Ramona. Mm-hmm. And we see him wearing an apron that just says cook, cook. on it. <laughs> That's just part of the comedy that was in the original comic book. So oh, okay. it just says cook on it. And it's so funny. But the thing that we do see in the comic book is that Scott can actually cook. Like he actually oh, makes okay. a full, like, Italian dinner for Ramona and Ramona's like, Wait a minute, that apron is not just for show, like you actually cooked something. But in the film, all the, all you see them eating is like soda and garlic bread now,
1: is the garlic bread in the comic or it is okay. it
0: is but he actually makes some sort of like pasta dish mm-hmm. to go along not with just it garlic bread. right right i mean he can yeah. eat
1: garlic bread for every meal
0: mm-hmm. and so it's a great example i think the scene of uh how the comic book is a great origin of the of verbal comedy that goes on mm-hmm. but it's not until you see michael sarah's performance that that comedy really comes to life and actually makes you chuckle because in the comic book the lines are exactly the same where ramona goes you know bread makes you fat bread makes you fat and so you read that in the comic book you're like oh yeah that's 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 pretty funny but you watch it in the film and he just (laughs) goes.
1: just enhances it yeah which doesn't always happen when something is adapted from yeah uh uh already existing source material
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 I found that to be really amazing how the lines not just translated really well in the adaptation, but, but how the performers really brought the comedy to a whole new level. And you could see that they chose the performers to not only look like the characters, I mean, the looks are spot on, but uh, that the performers could do that kind of comedy timing and 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 facial performance i mean michael sarah's face deadpan yeah not just (laughs) there's a deadpan and then there's just that like where he's like i gotta go if it wasn't for his face and for his like like dainty like speed walk the comedy wouldn't be there part
1: of it's the hair too that that haircut is and i love how they they describe it now i'm guessing that's also in the comic. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, he does have the, an the issue. Haircut, yeah. yeah, but Ramona does cut his hair. Okay. The re- it's, in, in the comic book, mid comic book. So um, it's, uh, yeah, not, not a huge discrepancy, obviously. But w- one of the big things that I do want to bring up is Steven still doesn't get uh, explored too much in the film. And in the comic book, you, you do see a lot more of his character. So he is dating Julie on and off. Mm-hmm. And he does seem to be struggling in the relationship. But, but, I know we
1: find out why yeah, in the in the yeah. novel,
0: yeah, so, so what we find out is not that he's struggling with her in the relationship or 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 with 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 whatever problems that she's causing. She's not causing any problems. it's more of um that he doesn't he's struggling with some sort of um some, some kind of feeling that he can't quite explain mm-hmm. and it isn't until he meets a completely different character that that unfortunately was omitted from the film um that's a big music fan um and falls in love with that guy that he realizes that um he's he's like guys all along mm-hmm. and he really becomes happy once he um begins a relationship with uh with that man and um and also he becomes happier once he also finds another band but it's all nicely wrapped up in the final volume yeah, i of feel the like
1: if the film was like a mini series or even a series i feel like they'd have a little bit more time to explore that and i kind of wish they did with his character or even just yeah. hinted at it a little bit more yeah um I, th- I mean this is 2010 so at that time
0: i mean who knows who, who knows i i think well here's here's my proposal my proposal is that um, they bring together all those parts that were not explored in the first film. So, mm-hmm. Kim's past relationship with Scott. Uh, at least flesh it out a little bit. Maybe a flashback or something. Steven Stills' growth as a character. Maybe make the sequel about him. I don't know. Who, who knows?
1: I, I mean, he's. He, I think he's interesting and flawed enough as a character yeah. to mm-hmm. definitely explore. Mm-hmm. I don't think he... He's so different from Scott at the same time that mm-hmm. it would be a much different experience or a much different story. But I think there's enough there that that would be interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so not to quote one of the songs, but um, the yeah. So bring out a little bit uh, more of his character. Bring out how knives has grown. Because again, the mm-hmm. comic book takes place over the course of a year. Uh, bring out um, what Kim is up to. Because at one point in the comic, book, she moves back with her parents. Like she can't afford to be in Toronto anymore, and she, like the band's not going anywhere. Um, which in the film, the band does go somewhere. So you kind of wrap up the story there. Um, but do take some of the leftover bits, and maybe you can create a story and Scott's next chapter, and call it Scott Pilgrim Gets It Together, which is. <laughs> actually one of the names of one of the volumes Mm -hmm. so hey you know what i think there's potential there for a good sequel i don't think that the sequel should be in the same tone as the first one still have you know high energy but this should be different because now scott has moved on yeah he can't just fight another seven evil axes it has
1: to be a different story arc yeah uh maybe a some sort of journey
0: co- maybe now he's growing into a career because he's jobless in the first mm-hmm. one and he becomes so stage 1 becoming an adult having mature relationships stage 2 get it together and get yeah. a job <laughs> yeah so who knows um in interviews Edgar Wright said that there is not going to be a sequel in his uh, in his opinion everything's wrapped bombs, up bombs
1: yeah. don't typically get sequels and unfortunately sometimes when they do they might bomb as well uh as we know, Blade Runner 2049.
0: But still, 2049 is a masterpiece. So it's,
1: uh, And so is, so is Scott Pilgrim, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. So who knows? Maybe we just need to wait another decade and yeah. we'll catch up with the characters growing up. And maybe, I have another idea, maybe now they're, the, uh, the older characters have kids and the kids have to grow up. There we go. Maybe there's that. Who knows?
2: We are Sex Bobbomb, and we're here to make you think about death and get sad and stuff. This is the beginning of the song. All
1: right, so let's get into some fun facts mm-hmm. and other little tidbits about the film. But first, let's talk about that title sequence. Oh, yes. That is quite uh, masterful. Um, I, I know that We know that the story behind that was that uh, Edgar Wright was originally just going to have a... Uh, title card at the beginning yep and then kind of swiftly introduce all the characters mm-hmm. uh, but he was actually convinced from a test screening uh by quentin tarantino to do something that is representative of the actual film and do something yep. a little more uh chaotic and a little more uh with with a little more energy mm-hmm. so they they open up by singing the uh launch pad mcquack song <laughs> Launchpad McQuack. Uh, not actually what it's called <laughs> goes into the uh the title sequence mm-hmm. um w- why don't you tell us a little bit more about that
0: all right, so the title sequence, uh, the the animation for the title sequence was created by Richard Kenworthy from a, an artist group called Shinola from the UK. They're most well-known for the music videos that they create, but mm-hmm. they've done other stuff as well, short films and such. Um, and so, like I said, they're just primarily an artist group uh, of about four uh, people. Um, the technique that was used there is... Um, Basically what it is is it's animation but not filmed animation. It is animation that is actually done by drawing and or scratching onto a thirty-five millimeter film. Mm-hmm. Uh there is a YouTube video um that's called uh begone dull care, which is about six minutes um of this type of animation, uh very, very reminiscent of the opening um uh credits um that is synced to a uh, jazz song that again the same the same exact technique so you're painting or you're drawing onto the film itself and you can mark and scratch it as as you want and then um through um just uh processing the film as usual like this is what you're going to get now in this particular case um they didn't want to do it but by they i mean um Uh, Richard uh, Kenworthy didn't want to do it um, on film, so he instead he did it on acetate. He just Mm -hmm. drew out all of the images that he wanted to do on acetate, um, developed that, um, got that all kind of scanned in, and then broke apart the pieces into individual frames. And so um, the thing is uh, the other participant in this process was edgar wright himself he was very detail-oriented and wanted um certain things to be seen in these opening uh credits um that included little subliminal hints um of what's to come so what we see is ramona ramona's uh um actress so
1: mary elizabeth winstead
0: yes um her colors uh that you see um animated um are purple and green and so that's what we see Mm -hmm. in her hair color um we see uh the um actors that played the exes so we see uh their names and around them are animated uh uh symbols that we see either you know on their person so for example chris evans he uh his character owns a skateboard company and he has a, uh, a a logo that is an L and then an inverted mm-hmm. L, right? So we see that flash next to Chris Evans' name. And also, each time that we see the X's actor's name, we see at one point or another on the screen at the same time flash the number of X's that denote which X this is. And also, right before um, the name moves on from the current X to the next actor, we see the actual um Number flash, yeah. So briefly, so I, I rewatched this a couple of times tried to try to catch everything, but it's so chaotic and like it's so, um, you know, flash, 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 flash so quick, um, that you really have to slow it down and really appreciate every frame. It's it's gorgeous, just this flash yeah, uh,
1: Article on on the art of the title, which is yes, that article, one of my uh favorite websites, um, because I'm kind of a typography and uh, title sequence nerd as you know from my recreated series
0: mm-hmm. so edgar wright talks about what he wanted to see he wanted quote to visualize the music and have every graphic symbol and subliminal image in time with the music a hypnotic barrage of color light and music the idea was to have it as if the animation is a manifestation of how cool the music is in knives head that's why we end the sequence on her watching the titles are like her brain is exploding with how cool the track is
1: and she's got those stars in her eyes too. yeah
0: Mm-hmm. and so the the scratch film that was used in this that was being animated through um didn't literally get scratched so once they were um you know done with uh like well part of the process in in creating the um the the film is that um um the creator richard Kenworthy he also you know took the film and literally threw it around on the floor trying to Mm -hmm. pick up hairs and trying to get it scratched so that it looks as like grungy um and kind of uh, as rough as the music that is playing um during the Um, credit sequence which the music was actually um, a track by Beck and they were so excited that they could actually use two full minutes Mm -hmm. for the um, title sequence.
1: Yeah in the article on Art of the Title they refer to the sequence as a visual napalm. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. Which I think is very accurate.
0: There is one character that was not in the comic book but is there sort of in the ether in the film. So he first introduces the setting for the film and then we kind of just hear him uh, from time to time in the movie and he's just known as the voice mm-hmm. he's the narrator and who is that voice
1: that is bill hater which i <laughs> yeah. couldn't believe at first
0: yeah yeah, he, it doesn't really sound to him like him at all and then once you know that you can't unhear it
1: so did you know that, uh, so we you did briefly mention Ramona's hair yep. color in the film. Uh, in the film, her her hair goes through three different colors, mm-hmm. pink, blue, and green, which I don't know how uh, direct this reference is. Um, I think it's pretty subtle, but it does um, reference the three uh, goddesses from The Legend of Zelda, mm-hmm. Din, Nehru, and Farore. Mm -hmm. so they're uh which is kind of red blue and and, uh green Mm -hmm. So kind of pink blue and green which Mm -hmm. is what her hair colors are
0: yeah and it's uh also uh you know her hairstyle changes in the comic book are also her transition points emotionally Mm -hmm. so uh before she leaves gideon in the past and before she leaves scott she actually cuts her hair and changes her style completely so it's a it's um good visual kind of checkpoint of where she is emotionally yep yep so what are your favorite things or favorite scenes from this movie
1: well honestly it's kind of hard to pick because from the first time that i've seen this to literally like every time i watch (laughs) it now it just makes me laugh as hard as, as as it did the first time so favorite scenes you know i i love i just love the way scott is uh, leading up to the party and in the party mm-hmm. you know, this is gonna suck
2: this
0: sucks this sucks.
1: <laughs> and then when he's asking julie about uh ramona you know the did they really did she really do they really <laughs> um i i just I, it gets me every time and then when just his dismissiveness when he's like oh yeah i mean me and knives broke up but hey look i learned the uh i heard i learned the baseline of uh final fantasy 2 and he starts playing it
0: you want to sympathize with him because it seems like he could be a good guy yeah and his carelessness is funny but you know you don't really want to be around this guy you don't know what kind of damage he could he could do
1: yeah there's also that (laughs) it's another great moment where knives says i've never even kissed a guy and then he you know he gets this kind of like serious look on his Mm -hmm. face very you know very comforting look on his face he puts his puts his hand on her shoulder and says me neither
0: me neither (laughs) and michael Sarah sells it so well in the comic book you just kind of get this (laughs) overhead shot and you're like oh that's 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 kind of a cute line
1: so yeah so so thoughtful
0: so just this sincere but just smoky face
1: yeah so my answer to that question is i can't pick one moment because every time i pick one moment there's something else like i'm just thinking of the when when knives uh comes to the door and he he jumps out the window the, like I the can't... window
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah i really don't have one moment i just think this this i'll say it and i'll say it again I, this is definitely the funniest film i've ever seen
0: oh yeah 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 definitely definitely in in that top two or three yeah for sure and like you were mentioning that the him just like flying out the window like that's something that like an anime character would do like everything mm-hmm. here is inspired by manga mm-hmm. anime well i mean this is based of a comic book to begin with um a game's and uh, they all like this, the, all these stylistic choices, like Edgar Wright talks about. These are all flourishes. Yeah, they're it, not. It
1: suspends reality.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's 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 magical because it's all through the perspective of really one person, mm-hmm. um, and these flourishes just add to the comedy. And I and I love these little flourishes like that. But they're but they're not meant to be like the sole. Um, purpose of just showing off so it's, it's great they just complement the story really really well yep and speaking of flourishes and flashes can you talk a little bit more about how they created some of the um some of the effects some of the game like or some of the like manga like effects there
1: yeah so it's definitely a combination of uh digital and practical effects mm-hmm. um as you see everything you know most of the sets are are real yeah you know there's a lot of set extension going on which i Mm -hmm. really like i like when it kind of looks like you can reach out and touch something Mm -hmm. um but the 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 comic book like effects you know were were done in in you know in post Mm -hmm. with software um most likely after effects
0: Mm -hmm. so like the ko that flashes on Mm -hmm. screen that now you're thinking okay i'm suddenly watching a video game or what's going on or the oh my god the 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 part where like uh scott gets punched and you see the like the kapow or whatever it was in the in the back where you obviously you see that in comic books uh, anime whatever all all the time but now you see it you know in the film and so obviously like that's not done practically that's that's a digital part, but what was done practically there's,
1: there's a lot of things like that um like i said it's a combination of practical and digital uh which is done just extremely well um The, the, some of the transitions you could see are done, are done practically, whether or not, um, you know, like a whip pan, Mm -hmm. it's that, that can be done practically with a Mm -hmm. camera move. Actually, we were watching some of the deleted scenes and that you could see the, the, at the end of the take, they would do the, the whip pan, the first part of the whip pan, Mm -hmm. basically just to kind of, for anyone who doesn't know, you know, whip pan is a, a, a cut, that we're at the end of the first shot, the camera whips, mm-hmm. uh, it pans really quickly from left to right or right to left, um, but it's important that the next shot is panning in the same direction. Mm-hmm. But you're starting that shot, so basically you're the first shot, you're you're on your your actor or your talent, and you pan away, mm-hmm. and then the next shot you want to start by panning from away to the talent. Mm-hmm. So then when you cut it together, it looks seamless. Mm-hmm. So those are done practically.
0: And that gives you like that blurred effect of motion yeah, that you because, usually see in a book. Because yeah.
1: the the camera is shooting at uh, most likely 24 frames per second uh, and the shutter speed is probably at 50 because you want to be, um, you know, or 48 or 50 to be double uh, your your uh, your frame rate to get that normal motion blur, that, that correct motion blur for that uh, frame rate. Mm-hmm so yeah that's how you get that blurred effect they might have maybe added uh i don't think so but they could you know they could add a, a blur on top of that mm-hmm. uh, digitally to enhance it uh but most likely not and also there's definitely a lot of uh planar tracking going on so they're probably using something like mocha uh, mm-hmm. software called mocha because there, you, there's scenes where things are moving and and like the graphics are kind of attached to them or mm-hmm. um even those little uh title cards that come up like mm-hmm. next to scott and it shows that um that either like his head or his hands like going over it mm-hmm. you know you actually have to mask that out as you're as, as you're going over it um most likely done in after effects or mocha
0: oh that sounds like a lot of work
1: it, it can be um but the it, I mean, this is 2010, so the tools are the tools are a lot better now.
0: So the other practical thing that uh, that I've read about was that any time that they had some sort of um, kind of a like a flashy graphic, mm-hmm. they actually did a light flash mm-hmm. during the the during the actual shooting of the scene, and then just complemented that with the digital. So it's a great marriage of. Um, digital and practical
1: yeah it helps the actors too
0: oh yeah yeah absolutely because there's a your cues mm-hmm. and this is the first film where i can watch this film and think okay obviously this is not reality but now i can actually picture a live kind of anime story uh kind of play out in the real world that's amazing like, yeah. i couldn't really visualize that before
1: so why don't you tell us about your favorite scene
0: well, like you, I have a lot of favorite scenes. Mm-hmm. There are just so many little details that I love uh, picking up on or learning about, like uh, le- like things um, in the background or just little references where um, as I'm learning more and more games uh, from you, um, I'm thinking, hey, is that from this or is that from this? And I finally learned where the heck launchpad mcquack it like comes from like mm-hmm. even though it's just a funny title <laughs> but it's great my very very favorite part um i would say well it's kind of two-parter so the envy and todd um scenes mm-hmm. uh for one thing like her song man that song just will stay in your brain i love that song it's so so great so so amazing I think they should have used that in the trailer they should have somehow used um anything was
1: better than the trailer that we saw
0: well it's still a bit of a letdown but yeah i think that the marketing for that should have been a little bit more like deadpool deadpool played on sort of a more gimmicky uh marketing um strategy so there is that deadpool um commercial or ad that's supposed to be a um a Bob ross mm-hmm. painting tutorial holy moly i i I don't watch that for movies, but I will watch that commercial over and over again. It's great, so I think that what they should have done because so much of the film revolves around their music and their music performances they maybe they should have done a music video that's supposedly supposed to be a music video, but it's really a trailer so anyway um so uh envy's song is great. it does talk a lot about in the song uh about her being brokenhearted over somebody that um in her words shape-shifted the past to fit their own perspective to make themselves feel better and so she's she's telling the audience like listen this guy is an unreliable narrator um and then so that's my favorite like song part of the of the movie my favorite um comedy again can't choose one but the fact that you can get superpowers by being a vegan (laughs) um well, me being vegetarian, it's uh it's it's nice to think that perhaps if I uh, do stop eating cheese at some point, I might get supernatural powers. So who knows? We'll see. <laughs> it's milk and eggs. B-
1: so there is one Oscar winner in this film, and also mm-hmm. one Oscar nominee. Do you know who they are?
0: Hmm. Chris Evans. No. Uh, Schwartzman. Give
1: you give you a hint. No. Mm. Give you a hint. They're both uh, women. The winner is a woman? Yeah, they're both women. Mm
0: -mm, No, I don't know.
1: So the Oscar winner is Brie Larson, who won for Room. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And the Oscar nominee is Anna Kendrick, who was nominated for Up in the Air. As we said earlier in the podcast, that this was a uh, box office bomb. Um, Yeah. But box office bomb doesn't always mean critical failure. Uh, As we know, Blade Runner, uh, box office disappointment. I wouldn't call it a bomb, but it was a disappointment. But it was lauded by critics what about Scott Pilgrim
0: well so right now the 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 rating stand at 82 percent on Rotten Tomatoes mm-hmm. 7.5 out of 10 on IMDB and uh five out of five on Empire um the reviews um were mixed at the time so um there's a quote uh from New York Times uh the speedy funny happy sad spirit of Scott Pilgrim versus the world is infectious Um, While there's another quote from another source that says, this inventive graphic novel adaptation has plenty of cinematic punch, but what's going on beyond the kapow? So some critics had a problem with the lack of development in Scott and Ramona's relationship. However, what I would like to argue is that they are not having a full relationship during the course of this film. This is the beginning stages. This is the flirtatious... Let's find out more about each other. They even admit in the film, like, I guess we don't know that much about each other.
1: At the end of the film, yeah. So that's like yeah. that's like the beginning. Yeah, exactly, it's not, yeah. Instead of flirting and getting to know someone, he's defeating these seven evil exes.
0: Yeah, which, like I said, in my mind, I always thought that, okay, he's defeating his notions of what they are, and every single ex is harder to beat because they're more and more recent in her past, and so she would have perhaps a stronger connection to those exes obviously the strongest one being Gideon so he was the hardest boss to beat um but again they have a flirtatious intimate relationship but they're like you said the full relationship doesn't actually start until the end of the movie this is all about overcoming your own demons in order to have the respect for yourself and others to actually start a true mature relationship mm-hmm. now this is the film the uh the graphic novel took place over the course of a year so, so they did have a more f- uh fully fleshed out relationship but again that's perhaps saved for the sequel
1: so our final verdict as you as you know if we're if we're covering these films we probably would recommend them but for this one we're just going to say just go watch it just go watch the it, film just go watch it. I think you'll love it. Even if you're not into video games, I think there's enough there to oh, yeah. be very beneficial.
0: Yep. I'm not into video games that much. I have read uh, some manga in my day. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, we've both watched like Death Note. We've watched uh, good anime. And, um, you know, you don't need to understand all the references. You can just enjoy this... Uh, you know, this this gem of a comedy film. And from a perspective who's also read the comic book, I would say also go read the comic book. This um, this is an example, and this uh, has been noted by uh, others as well as, this is a good example of transmedia storytelling, mm-hmm. which is that uh, you kind of create a universe by not, not just from one person, but one person will create a comic book, for example, and then another person will create a film based off that comic book, maybe expanding on some of the themes in the comic book, maybe giving a di- different perspective on uh, what happened in the comic book, and then something else will come along, like maybe a video game that now gives a third different perspective, or maybe flushes some, some things out that were not flushed out before. So you kind of branch out and tell a fuller story and a f- and explore a fuller universe um, through different uh, media and through different authors. So um, this is a great example. I think also Blade Runner is a good example as well. We have two films. We have an original book there and we have a graphic novel um, that that was spawned from that. So
1: And an upcoming anime series.
0: And an upcoming anime series, yeah. So um, both great examples where we take um, great idea that was uh, created by you know one person, uh, Brian Lee Malley, who drew and wrote uh, the, the story. And then you have other people that came along and loved the material so much that they wanted to show that love by bringing these characters to life in a different medium.
1: All right, so what are we watching on the next episode of In Out Points?
0: Well, we're watching a film about a mentally unstable veteran works as a nighttime cab chauffeur in New York City where the perceived decadence and sleaze fuels his urge for violent action by attempting to liberate a presidential campaign worker and an underage prostitute.
1: See if you can figure that one out. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, so for In Out Points, I am Josh. And I'm Val. And we'll see you next time.
0: And sayonara.